program is coming to you from the House of David. Welcome to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. Episode 1, The Magazines Leave the Depot. Featuring the dulcet tones of Matthew Conium, Bob Gassell, and Noah Diamond. And because it's our first episode, we thought we might our, as well... Our second attempt at our first episode, actually. It's our second attempt at our first episode. And we're all looking very much forward to the third attempt at the first episode. <laughs> you should have come to the party of the third part. Uh, we thought maybe we'd start this off by just telling you a little bit about ourselves, because surely you've never heard of us before and don't know who we are. Matthew Conium, as the... He's really the father of this Marx Brothers Council movement. Um, why, don't you, uh, why don't you kick us off, Matthew? Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm Matthew Conium. Um, I'm the author of The Annotated Marx Brothers, and uh, that's me, Groucho, the solo career of Groucho Marx. And um, I started the Marx Brothers Council as a, as a blog, then it became a Facebook group, and now it's a podcast. Soon to be a major motion picture. <laughs> So, so go ahead. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. You can, oh, you, okay. You squelched my punchline. He's going to play Matthew in the Marx Brothers Council movie. I think his wife's going to <laughs> play him. Hi, everyone. My name is Bob Gassell. Uh, unlike my colleagues here, I am not getting rich off the Marx Brothers name, but I am a fan, just like most of you out there. Why I'm on this podcast, I don't know, but they chose me, so I guess everyone could go screw themselves <laughs> that's really nice yeah that's touching sweet well uh my name is noah diamond and uh i am uh, another lifelong marx maniac i'm a writer and performer and my closest association with the marx brothers i suppose has been through my work on i'll say she is uh the revival of their lost 1924 broadway musical which i restored and adapted um, and it was seen off-Broadway in 2016 after being seen at the New York Fringe in 2014. And I even wrote a book about it called Gimme a Thrill, the story of I'll Say She Is, the Lost Marx Brothers musical, and how it was found. Which we will and be giving away a, a free copy of. of. Oh, yes. Yeah. To uh, every one of our listeners. <laughs> no, we, we <laughs> just have one. <laughs> we have one. <laughs> Depending on which of my colleagues uh, you, you believe, either one of you or all of you will be receiving a copy of the book. And for all we know, we only have one listener, and this will all work out. Or everyone could just pass it around. Yeah, or maybe in some future podcast episode, I'll just read it to you. That would be nice. Now, before we continue, I think uh, we need to get something out of the way here. Uh, the pronunciation of the name of the eldest brother. Uh, it should be Manfred. Not Monfred, no. No, seriously. I know the proper pronunciation is Chico, but I say Chico and always have and make no apologies for it. I know the story about how supposedly this was caused by a misprint or a misspelling on a billboard or in a program, but yeah. they had every opportunity to correct it uh, in future programs, in the movie billings, in movie credits, but they never did. And it's presumptuous for them to think that we would pronounce it any other way. So I'm saying Chico. And I am going to tolerate that. <laughs> or edit it out. <laughs> yeah, I take your point. I mean, um, I say I say Chico because I'm setting my ways now and, and because you do have to 
you know, stop and explain why you're doing it when somebody who's in the know says, why on earth are you calling him Chico? Don't you know it's Chico? Um, but I see exactly where you're coming from. I think, um, the, the whole story about the, the K being, being left off and it, and it staying that way. On, on the one hand, all that's doing is explaining why it becomes Chico. I mean, C-H-I-C-O spells Chico. There's no, there's no two ways around that. And as you say, it is, it is presumptuous to expect people to, uh, to know otherwise. But also, as with all these stories, I'm not sure that I really believe that, to be honest. I, I think it was changed deliberately. Um, and I think it was changed deliberately because the meaning is slightly risque. And once they started explaining what their names meant, you'll see uh, in some 1930s uh, reports that there's this fake reason given that he likes eating chicken. Um, so, so I think <laughs> obviously there's, there's a slight understanding that it's a little bit near the knuckle. So I think it was changed deliberately and I think it was changed deliberately to Chico, uh, to, to kind of obscure that. Obviously his brothers are still going to call him Chico and Groucho is still, is going to say Chico later on in life on, on the interviews and things. And the story is going to get around and people like us are going to start saying, saying Chico. But I think, uh, ultimately it was changed to Chico and it's perfectly reasonable to say Chico. I don't, uh, I wish, I wish I had your guts. Uh, but I, but I, um, no, I see exactly where you're coming from. Well, I'd like to be the, uh, the PR guy. I came up and said, yeah, uh, yeah, let's just say it was chicken. Yeah, he liked chicken. That was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel exactly the same way you do, Bob, and that's why I pronounce it Bob Gassel. That's how it's spelled. They, he's had plenty of opportunities to change yeah. the spelling. Yeah. You know, that is the only reason I'm doing this podcast, is to get the proper <laughs> – So people pronounce your name correctly? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. If that's the only thing they get, they get out of this hour, so be it. <laughs> Well, that's good. Maybe we should establish that for the sake of our listeners. And you're, it's, it's Matthew Conium, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's certainly not Conium. Most people say Conium. I think it's clear that the Marx Brothers themselves, in, in their minds, it was Chico, and Chico is authentic and correct in that sense. But I also think it's perfectly clear that this was not an important issue to the Marx Brothers by any means. Um, as has often been pointed out in later interviews, uh, lots of journalists address Chico as Chico, and he, you know, he never corrects them and 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 tells them that they're pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, and I also think, although I say Chico uh, chiefly because Groucho did, and and I want to feel as authentic to to those guys as I can. Um, I think we have to be very easy on fans who say Chico, partly because you could watch every Marx Brothers movie every day for your entire life and never hear his name said out loud. It's, it's no kind of um, a uh, prerequisite for being a true fan. With the exception of Ciccolini, which I guess sort of points you there. That is how that would have been pronounced, though. If you, if you once you put a, once you put a put a Lini on the end of it, it does become Chick. And it's that the Italian pronunciation would be Ciccolini. Uh, I also say Grucho instead of Groucho. <laughs> why, why do we have our listeners sound off? Let us know if in a future episode of the Marx Brothers Council podcast, you would like us to talk for a couple hours about the pronunciation of Chico's name. How would they reach us, Noah? Why, they would visit marxcast.blogspot.com. Marxcast being a contraction for Marx Brothers Council podcast. Ah! And perhaps a link to that site will be posted at the Marx Brothers Council, the now legendary Facebook yeah, group. I'll bet it will. Which we all owe our association. Do you know, I've got half a mind to go to that website now. It sounds marvelous. Is it? It is marvelous, and I've got half a mind, period. <laughs> you know what would be appropriate for our first episode? No, what? I think 
to get people familiar with us and where we're coming from, we should quickly go through all the Marxist films and give a little thumbnail uh, thought and review and rank if we want. Yes. Anyhow, let's start right at the beginning. Let's start with our first film, uh, Humor Risk. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Yep, it's my favorite. It's by far the best. Uh, no, don't be so silly. Be so silly, Bob. Let's um, let's start with the, let's start with the coconuts. How about that? Okay, okay. Coconuts is my second favorite. I put it at number two, um, which will sound ridiculous to a lot of people who put it way, way down with the the cruddy MGMs and and whatever. Uh, I like it almost as much as Animal Crackers. It's right at the top. Um, the main reason people don't seem to like it, I don't get, which is that it's technically primitive. Who cares? Even if that wasn't charming, which it is, who cares? Um, the material's great. Calvin and Riskind at their best, full of great stuff. And um, uh, yeah, those two, those first two films are my favourites, the New Yorky ones, where uh, the camera is a seat in the stalls and the camera's trapped and you're trapped and the characters are trapped and the Marx Brothers are battering you with hostile comedy. That's what it's all about for me. For me, Coconuts is is also very close to the top. I uh, Last week, I think I had it at number two. I was looking at my list again this morning and thinking I'm, I might make it number three. But regardless, Coconuts is very near the top for me. Uh, I'm also unbothered by its technical primitiveness, and I have an overwhelming preference for uh, theater over film and New York over Hollywood, and uh, Coconuts is as precious to me as any of the film's except for Animal Crackers. However, I cannot deny that the performances in Coconuts, um, particularly Groucho's and Chico's, have always felt slightly befogged to me. And especially in comparison with what they do in Animal Crackers befogged. one year later. Befogged. Oh. The discomfort of the Marx Brothers with their new medium, um, to me, keeps them from being quite uh, um, at their full measure of, of brilliance in coconuts, but I love it dearly. And um, mostly um, for it being a New York based adaptation of a, one of their Broadway shows. Um, it's, it's more precious to me than, than any of the other films except for animal crackers. Yes. Groucho's performance is not quite as self-assured and self-confident as it, as he would be uh, later on, even in animal crackers, it uh, seems to be incredibly more polished. I've sometimes wondered if Coconuts, maybe it suffers a little bit for the fact that it was followed instantly by Animal Crackers, where they establish a height that, for me, they never again matched. It's it's wonderful to look at. It's a wonderful piece of history. It's a wonderful piece of comedy. I think it's one of those things that uh, appeals more to the hardcore Marx fan who knows the background of why it looks the way it does and why it feels the way it does. It's just a brilliant piece of writing and a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It was really quite groundbreaking at the time. So let's move on to their next film, their next Broadway show turned into a movie, Animal Crackers. Matthew, let's go back to you again. Right. Yeah. Animal Crackers is my number one. Um, I think it's everybody here's number one. Um, it edges ahead of the coconuts for me very slightly, although not for the reason that most people give, which is that it's uh, more technically assured. I think Maybe actually it isn't. It's it's better preserved. We have it in a much more sophisticated form. But I think it's as clunky, if not more so, in some ways than the coconuts. That, and we that, just that's true. Actually, if you look at the films back to back, the coconut is quite a bit more cinematic and even ambitious than Animal Crackers. 
It's a lot more static. It's a lot more okay. static, which I love. It's just what well, anyway. That's that, that I get off on that. But but it, yeah, that's the thing is it's much better preserved. Um, but again, blissfully funny material. Uh, also has the advantage of my favourite um, co-star, uh, the the luminous Lillian Roth, and I love um, Why Am I So Romantic? Her song, uh, great material. But best of all, they come down individually down a flight of stairs. Even Zeppo does it with quite a bit of panache. Yeah, he skips down charmingly. Yeah, well, I certainly agree with all of that. For me, Animal Crackers is their best film by a considerable distance. For me, Animal Crackers is anybody's best film by a considerable distance. Um, And just an almost perfect capture of what I think they were like on stage. The material is so unbelievably strong. Um, You have... Not only Kaufman and Riskin, but Kalmar and Ruby all credited on the same film, um, and and all of the performances, and I I think I think especially Groucho just never had the degree of force, and even Groucho's physical performance in Animal Crackers seems to me distinctive beyond anything else he ever did on film. Um, I just love it, and for me, Animal Crackers is um, is the yardstick against which we measure all the films, and I. The others, for me, are successful or unsuccessful based on how much they capture the spirit of Animal Crackers. Yeah, as much as I hate to let everyone down, I totally agree with you guys on this one. Animal Crackers is just uh, Marx Brothers' perfection. Everything is striking on all cylinders. And, you know, it really could have only been made in New York. Um, how I don't think a Hollywood version of Animal Crackers would have looked quite the same. It's just wonderful on every front. I, I love Lillian Roth and, uh, you know, the Rittenhouse family. I'd watch a whole film about the Rittenhouse family. I think they're wonderful. I love the art direction. I think the Rittenhouse Manor is just the most wonderful movie set I've ever seen. Right right from the first second, I think. If you imagine when the, when the lights go down in the cinema and you hear that, it's just instantly, it, it, it kind of, the Marx Brothers are here. That, that, that opening music to me is, is the opening Marx Brothers music of everything. Now let's move on to monkey business. Uh, the Marxists go out to Hollywood and make their first full-scale Hollywood-type film. And Matthew, let's start with you again. Monkey business, yeah. Um, just as Coconuts and Animal Crackers were very nearly joint first, I can slightly separate them. Um, I really can't separate monkey business and horse feathers, or at least I can't for, for any great length of time. Um, they are joint third for me. And they do kind of play as a pair um, obviously, Thelma Todd's in both, and they're the, the two kind of early Hollywood ones. Um, I think they're both great. Uh, yes, they are much more cinematic. They have a much more stop-start rhythm, um, all of which are, are good points for most people. But for me, you know, slightly take the edge off them. But just fantastic material, um, including the Maurice Chevalier uh, passport sketch, which I would probably nominate as my number one favorite of all their scenes. Um, so, uh, yeah, a very comfortable, uh, position three. Interesting how many people, um, group horse feathers and monkey business together. I, I find that, uh, strange because monkey business is unique in Mark's films in that it's the only one where Groucho does not hold some sort of position or authority. Uh-huh. Yeah. They start out on an even plane, all being stillways and work together as a group as a team throughout the whole film, which is a unique thing in their careers. This is the only time they did it. And the only one that rises in status is actually Zeppo, isn't it? Yes. Because he starts off as a, as a fellow stowaway, and he ends up uh, presumably engaged, certainly hitched up with the, uh, with the girl. It's because he's got a better suit. 
<laughs> I find monkey business is so much fun and it's so it's such a good introduction to them. I think it's probably the best one to show someone if they don't know the Marx Brothers to sort of get them into the mood. Um, and yet, uh, Bob is right. It's it's incredibly atypical. And one of the things, like in my most recent attempt to rank the films, Monkey Business came in fifth for me, the, the lowest ranked of the Paramounts, which feels wrong. It feels painful to, to put it so far down the list because it's so great and it seems so distinctive. And the image of the four of them running all over that ship seems tied to their essence in a way that not all the films give you. Uh, and yet... Um, you know, no musical numbers, the dynamic uh, between the brothers and, and among the brothers and the rest of the world is a little different in monkey business. Um, the absence of Margaret Dumont, as with Horse Feathers, makes it something less than uh, an archetypal Marx Brothers movie. Because this was their first Hollywood film, I think they were trying a lot of new things. I think if they were doing this film at some other point in their career, they might have made Groucho the captain, actually, and have his um, first mate be the one looking for the stowaways. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's a work in progress in that they, they are trying to come up with uh, how to make sense of them as film, recurring film characters. The first two were written already, they already existed, and now they're being presented with a challenge. And it's only next time round that they hit on the idea of putting Groucho in a position of authority that he obviously couldn't possibly have ended up in realistically. That, that suddenly occurs to them next time. Which, of course, leads us in the horse feathers. Yeah, which is, again, my, my joint third. Um, comedically, I think more of the same. Um, absolutely first-class stuff, plus um, some absolutely glorious songs, including um, uh, Everyone Says I Love You, which they all get a crack at, which I think is such a lovely idea that they each do it in their own distinctive way. Harper on the harp, Chico doing it on his piano. Groucho gets to play his guitar. And uh, and Zeppo does it, uh, or does he, in uh, a really nice little um, showpiece number for him. I think that is Zeppo actually singing, though dubbed in, uh, despite what some people or some person on Mark's <laughs> council thinks. Another thing to consider about Horse Feathers is that it's actually uh, somewhat of a satire on the college films of the day, yeah. the football college yeah. films of the day, just like the... Classic comedy airplane is a satire of airport and the big budget disaster films that were the rage of the 60s and 70s. They're all about movies. Those Paramount Hollywood films are all about movies. That's about college movies. The next one is about Ruritanian movies and the dictator craze. Um, they're, they're all essentially film parodies. For me, Horse Feathers comes in very near the top at, at number two or three, depending on how I'm feeling about Coconuts. Uh, on that particular day. Uh, Horse Feathers owes uh, a lot, I think, to Animal Crackers. And you can see in Monkey Business the attempt to take the stage team and figure out what they might be like in a movie. And Monkey Business sort of solves the problem by forsaking a lot of what was true about them on stage. Horse Feathers and Duck Soup both kind of embrace it by starting with an opening number that introduces Groucho. And, you know, it feels like we're on slightly more familiar territory. Another reason I rank Horse Feathers above Monkey Business and Duck Soup is it really doesn't have any dead spots in it. Um, and Monkey Business and Duck Soup both do contain, despite my love for them, entire sequences that I would let go of pretty willingly. Um, in Monkey Business, it's I, this might be a, a minority opinion, but in Monkey Business, it's the Punch and Judy sequence. I just don't 
enjoy it and I just don't need it. And in duck soups, the lemonade and peanut stand stuff goes on far beyond my interest in it. Uh, but horse feathers really has nothing in it that I could say that about. I, I, I would keep every frame. And even some frames that are missing, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll get into at some future time. It's interesting that the Marxes here at the peak of their popularity reached back a long time for source material. They had been talking about doing a college-based film actually way back in, in the 20s. They had started uh, forwarding the idea before they even had made the coconuts. But they had reached back even further than that to their fun in high school and some of their early classroom skits. So they were not adverse to looking backwards for sources, for source material, but bringing it up to date, bringing it up to their current characters. And like Duck Soup, I think this film is just so jam-packed and so compressed. I uh -huh, wish yeah. I would have more time to breathe some of these scenes, some of these plot lines. But it's hard to complain with what we got on the screen. It's just maybe their best Hollywood film that's uh, for you to decide. So I'll leave it there. Let's move on to Duck Soup which I think Matthew has some controversial thoughts about. Matthew? Yeah, Duck Soup I've never seen. I, I hear it's good. Um, I'm looking forward well, to it. Stan and Ollie are a couple of bums being chased by forest rangers. <laughs> yeah, okay. Duck Soup, um, I, I'm, I supposedly hate. Of course I don't. It's my number six, which means it's, it's comfortably in the top half of their very best films. Uh, but... I do think it's the weakest of the Paramounts um, for reasons that are um, vaguely controversial, I guess. Um, I think it's the first indication of somebody trying to do something new with them. Director Leo McCary coming along and saying, I don't particularly like your films. Why don't we do it this way? Um, and so what you're left with is something that you may well love and that that's great. But it's it's different. It's very different. It's a one-off. Uh, there's lots and lots. Can I interject here? Yeah. In my studies of contemporary reaction to the Marxist films, uh, newspapers, the one criticism they were starting to get is that they were beginning to repeat themselves. So this very possibly could have been a conscious choice to, to do something different, to go in a different direction. I'm sure it is. Yeah. And, and that's fine. And if that, you know, if that does the trick, that, that's great. But from my, my personal take, which is as somebody who, who likes them just fine the way they were, I don't really want to see Harper going about on that horse and getting into bed with a horse. I don't want to see stock footage of animals. Um, I don't want to see so much visual stuff. I don't want to see Chico pulling that silly face when he's pretending to play ukulele. Um, I, I, I really just want them to do kind of wordplay and clever stuff. And there's just less of it. It's there, um, especially the stuff that comes over from the radio show, Flywheel, Shoster and Flywheel. It's very, very good. But there's a lot of kind of silliness, a lot of visual stuff that doesn't particularly um, appeal to me. So it just it just falls below the other Paramounts uh, and comes in at number six for me. Uh, on my rankings, Duck Soup comes in at number four. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with um, what I think is the revisionist take on duck soup uh, championed most conspicuously by Matthew. Uh, my view is that it has suffered over the years for being overpraised and people who don't even really know the Marx brothers and haven't seen their films sort of understand duck soup to be their masterpiece. Um, even though uh, I, I would say it, it pretty clearly is not uh, duck soup is the film of theirs most likely to make its way to 
top 10 lists or, you know, best comedy of all time, Duck Soup or A Night at the Opera will, will be the Marx Brothers film that gets uh, enshrined that way. Uh, its peaks are absolutely glorious. And I mean, there's a lot in Duck Soup to adore. Uh, I do, of course, love it with all or most of my heart. Um, but I agree with, uh, for one thing, the, the absence of certain distinctive elements, like the harp and piano solo, uh, the length of the dialogue scenes um, causes me to, to rank it slightly lower. And then I also do feel like there's a, a sense of pushback. This is not, after all, the essential Marx Brothers movie. It's an excellent film that they made right in the middle of their careers at a transitional moment. And it... it captures the tension between what they were and what they were becoming. It's it's hard for me to disagree with any of the specific comments you guys have made. They're all valid criticisms, I guess. But for me, Duck Soup ranks behind only Animal Crackers um, as their best film. I find it fresh, original, and moves fast. The criticism that McCary might have dominated them, I sort of get that, but there's another way to look at it. You could see it as McCary joining forces with the Marxes and creating a new whole, which is greater than the sum of their parts. The adaptation of what is basically Laurel and Hardy material to their talents, particularly the lemonade stand stuff, I think is just so brilliantly done. And it just brings a whole new flavor to their characters without seeming out of line. So um, I'm breaking this as their second best film. Do you know what? I think I, think I would love it. If um, it was the length of, say, Animal Crackers or Coconuts, if it was a, if it was an 85 minute film and everything in it that I like that is cut down was allowed, was given its full uh, allotment of time. Plus, there was all that extra stuff. That would be fine. It's it's just that the, the stuff I love is is rather ruthlessly pruned to make room for Harpo going to bed with a horse that I find a bit irksome. And from what we're learning about the film in recent years, it seems as though Duck Soup did have quite a bit cut out of it, uh, subplots and so forth, and they go through quite a bit of reshooting. So perhaps there is a longer, different version in the vault somewhere. But I went count and I've never seen it. Anyhow, after Duck Soup, Zeppo drops out of the act, much to the chagrin of uh, one Andrea Orlando. <laughs> and after a lengthy break, Chico somehow finagles a contract with MGM and uh, Irving Thalberg, and we move on to A Night at the Opera. Matthew? Yes. Night at the Opera obviously is one of their most important films. Um, it's uh, They hadn't made a film for a year. Their Paramount contract had ended, and along comes uh, Irving Thalberg of MGM, who takes them on, I think, probably almost as a kind of a, a bet with himself, uh, you know, as his, as his latest pet project. Um, to see if he maybe could, he just had a big maybe he had a big debt to Chico. Well, maybe that, yeah. But uh, you know, to see if he could turn the, this act into uh, you know MGM top liners, MGM being the, you know, the glossiest, most prestigious studio in town. So he he took them on and he laid down a series of rules, as as many people know, uh, saying you know there has to be fewer laughs and uh, more uh, romantic uh, plot and and a, a narrative arc that people can follow along and all these various other things. Uh, and his prediction was that this would turn them into a smash hit. Obviously, when the film was released, um, although it was, was so expensive, it didn't actually turn a profit. Nonetheless, it was a smash hit in, in turnstile terms. Um, and, and from then on, the, the feeling has generally been that his point, his point was proven. 
Um, I'm not so 100% sure of that. I wonder if uh, there had been another one released at the same time, made under the old rules, uh, if that wouldn't have done just as well, if maybe it was just the fact that people hadn't seen them for a year and they were back. Um, It's very hard to say. From my own personal point of view, I don't think the rules that he instituted were much cop really any of them and i think in all of them the seeds of their later decline um are to be found uh, absolutely night of the opera isn't um a, a film in decline though and i think that's basically because he got one thing absolutely right uh for some reason he went to um an old studio warhorse for the director sam wood who they didn't get on with to put it mildly but for writers he chose calvin and riskind and so the material is absolutely top-notch do we know whether that was his choice or did the Marxists point him that way? Uh, well, that's a good question. I mean, I have to presume it was his choice in the sense that he had the final say-so. Um, yeah, of course. So, so yes, I mean, to that extent, it may not have been actually, uh, a, a, you know, um, an invention of his. But it, that was, I think that was the thing that, that made the big difference. So we do have a film that is a delight. I put it at number five, just ahead of Duck Soup. Um, it is a, a wonderfully funny film with some really superb scenes. Um, the one thing I think that's MGM-ish about it that I do really like is the climax. I think that um, up until the night at the opera, all the hey, well, hey, films- hey, what kind of film are you talking about here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, up until the night at the opera, they they don't they don't have uh, climaxes. They. Um- <laughs> <laughs> The films just end. They just stop. Um, you can get a fine tootsie fritzying though. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly at MGM, they start having climaxes. Um, they- <laughs> but, but we'll get into the manicurist later. <laughs> now, they, do you they- think that Thalberg might have been like, maybe not unique, but at least unusual, just in having enough clout and power to get Kaufman to come to Hollywood and write a movie? Maybe so, yeah. That, that Again, I mean, uh, he did have a... Um, an association with Kaufman, didn't they? There was already, um, they, they all were already uh, sort of working on different projects and things together. So, um, so yeah, it could be something to do with that. But yes, um, all the, all the other MGM climaxes are, are basically not up to much, I don't think. But this one is really Marx Brothers ish. It's the, the, the point of the yes. scene, the destruction of the opera is absolutely in yeah. keeping with, with them as comedians. Plus, it's got all this money pumped into it and it looks great and it's got special effects that serve the point of the enterprise. Um, and so through, through fluke, and I think, and for probably the last time, we do have a near perfect Marx Brothers film, which I put in position number five. Yeah. Oh yeah. The finale is so much more Marx Brothers because the premise is so much more in their wheelhouse. Exactly. And, and all the chutzpah serves that, serves that end. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll go along with all of that. A Night at the Opera uh, comes in at number six on my list of, of rankings in order of, of favorite. Um, I, I agree with all of it. I think A Night at the Opera has some of their best material in it. For Groucho in particular, it seems sort of a triumph from a performance point of view. Also, Chico has the wonderful aviator speech, which is one of his great moments. At um, last. There's a lot. Yeah, his last great moment. Yeah. Um, and the last time Chico genuinely seems to be the brilliant, absurdist comic who we met in in. Well, we met him in Coconuts. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, on the other hand, A Night at the Opera is also accurately seen as the beginning of the end. And um, Groucho being kicked down the stairs and the um, 
sort of sickening, sympathy-inducing park bench scene, the seriousness with which the musical numbers are taken when they don't involve the Marx Brothers, you know, it all is sort of um, the herald of the, the depths that are to come. But it's hard to feel badly about A Night at the Opera because so much of it is so good. Yes, the, the film was a huge success. And uh, what MGM did was they took the template of the film, the dramatic beats, the songs, the romantic subplot, and so many other things, and thought that was the reason it was a success. Mm. And they copied it down the line. But what they didn't copy or couldn't copy was a Kaufman Riskin script, which was the real reason it was so good. And I must agree with Noah in that uh, this film really is a triumph for Groucho, who, who dominates the film. I think it's his best material, the best material he's been given since Animal Crackers. And he's the one who really carries the weight here. Uh, Chico really has his last iconic moments and has a couple of great scenes. But I I have a little issue with Harpo here. I don't think it's his best film. Uh, his yes. performance is as good as ever, and he does have some wonderful moments. But overall, uh, his character is is not well served here. He uh, He basically annoys people. In the past, at Paramount, he bewildered them and confused them. But here he just annoys them and upsets them. In the finale, he somewhat redeems himself. But still, I can't really rate this quite as high as as most of the Paramount films because uh, Harpo, my favorite brother, is not as well served here. So I can't really rate this higher than like four or five. So let's move on to A Day at the Races. Yep, Day at the Races, for me, drops down right down to number nine. This is a film, I think, that has um, slipped away in in popular estimation. It was once thought of as very much uh, the second half of A Night at the Opera, uh, and almost as good. I think most people now um, would agree with me that that it it really isn't. It's opera done again, but not as well. It's, in a sense, although Thalberg was was dead by the time it was completed, in a sense, it's the film where Thalberg wins. Um, It's got all of the kind of negative um, side of the things he he, um, introduced, less of the positive. The script isn't as good. There's not much comedy in it. If you actually take out the comedy scenes, you get about 20 minutes of a film that is enormously long. It goes on forever. It's about an hour and three quarters. It's their longest one, I think. Um, Not much comedy in it. It's got a big, expensive uh, climax that doesn't even intend to be funny. It's just a horse race. Uh, lots of uh, nasty, glutinous sentimentality. Uh, a couple of great bits. I like the examination of uh, Margaret Dumont, the medical examination. I love the call to the Florida medical board because suddenly Groucho is being Groucho again. Um, on the main, mm-hmm. sorry, in the main, the boys are in good form. Um, they're, they're relatively sprightly, but they're not being given much straw to make bricks with. And Groucho, for the first time, um, has to basically apologize for his yeah. existence. And as squirm. He's <laughs> right. Groucho Marx moping through the movie, saying, if only I weren't such a fraud. For all we know, he could have been a fraud in Animal Crackers as well. Yeah. He might have uh, kidnapped the real Captain Spaulding at the bus depot. And uh, perhaps that's the reason he's so hard to get a direct answer out of. And that's the thing with the with the call to the medical board. It, you know, he all he has to do there is get himself off the hook by saying, "Yep, this guy's a real doctor." But he doesn't. He 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 pisses about and he makes it worse for himself because suddenly he's Groucho and he can't help it again. Uh, for the rest of the film, he's not like that. Yeah, it seems as though a day at the races um, 
subverts everything we used to love about them. It has a very happy spirit behind it, and it's it's not an easy film to um, to hate, you know. But I wouldn't, I couldn't think of a way to defend it from any of the charges you've just made. It, it, yeah, a couple of great segments, the Florida Medical Board, and for me, both examination scenes, the Dumont examination and the Harpo examination, are are fine. And there's also something just iconic about Groucho as Dr. Hackenbush. I'm not even sure why, because as we've pointed out, um, Hackenbush is not really a Groucho fraud in the grand tradition. Um, he's apparently a reasonably competent veterinarian who's just in the wrong place. Um, and yet maybe because Groucho enjoyed playing a doctor so much and identified with that role for the rest of his career, Something about Groucho playing a doctor and specifically playing that doctor does have a kind of classic, iconic power to it that nothing in any of the later films has. And it's a strange thing, isn't it, that, that Margaret Dumont already knows him. She, she, she specifically brings him in in the way that she brings Firefly into, uh, into Fredonia, because there's obviously been some backstory where yeah. he's been pretending to be her doctor. So he's already been doing that. Presumably for financial gain. Uh, but then suddenly when he gets... Now there's a prequel I'd like to see. Yeah. When he gets another crack at it, he, he, he goes all to pieces and he, and he starts, uh, you know, moping about and cringing. It makes no sense. I'm always interested in the moment when Dumont says in A Day at the Races of Groucho, she says, uh, I never knew there was a thing the matter with me until I met him. <laughs> Which, on one hand, that's a very funny line. Um, on the other hand, it's sort of, it makes you aware that the plates are shifting under our yeah. feet here now she's getting the funny lines yeah. ab- about how what a fraud he is i love i love maureen o'sullivan saying i'm satisfied with mrs upjohn's recommendation you think what <laughs> why yes. are you this bloke's just come in with a painted on mustache and you know is obviously a- <laughs> the premise of this film doesn't work unless i say this line <laughs> she's desperate to save this business and yet that's good enough for her my opinion of the film is that it's very good. The humor is all fine. It's all good. I don't know if any of it is great. I I really like the uh, paper hanging scene towards the end. That's oh my yeah, thank, I love thank you. As Matthew pointed out, the rhythm of the film, the pacing, and the length of it sort of detracts from the humor. It doesn't really add to it. And I think uh, these comic scenes could have worked better in a tighter film. So uh, now I guess we should move on to room service. Um, it should be said here, if you weren't aware, that the Marxists were not going to do the film as their traditional characters, or not totally, and they were seriously considering not even being in their traditional makeup and costume. And there was even thought of Harpo talking, but that fell by the wayside. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, it was obviously it was a Broadway play, as everybody knows, um, that was uh, not written for them. It was a hit Broadway play already that was then uh, taken on as a, as a vehicle for them. They were originally going to do it um, in, in, in new characters, as it, as it were. Um, a sort of half-hearted compromise uh, was the end result. And for that reason, um, most people put it way, way, way down the list. I don't. Uh, I put it at number eight ahead of a day at the races um, because although it's experimental um, and very different, to my mind, A, it's a good farce and there's, there's nothing you can do about that. It is a good, fast-moving farce. But also... I think it's easy to overplay how different their characters are. Yes, they are different from, from what we know, but then, you know, so they are in, in, uh, in at the circus and, and go west. 
And I would rather see them, A, dominating a film in the way that they do here. I mean, they're in, they're in pretty much every scene. Um, but also they're, they're scheming and they're duplicitous and they're self-serving rather than, uh, you know, trying to help other those kids. So for that reason, I, I, I rate it quite highly compared to what's still to come. I put it at number eight. I love the climax as well in the theatre with, uh, you know, the dead bodies popping up. I think it's a good film. Number eight. Uh, I've got room service at number nine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't dislike room service. Um, it is certainly true that it's different from their other films. It's an experiment. It's not a completely successful experiment, but because it's not trying to be a Marx Brothers movie, the fact that it fails to be one is inoffensive to me. Um, and it's a delight to see them. Um, they perform with great verve and energy. To me, room service and love happy sort of belong together. They are the two Marx Brothers films that aren't really Marx Brothers films. They are experiments. Um, and yeah, and, and they're not completely successful experiments. Um, but they're pleasant. For me, room service is considerably more pleasant than love happy. Another thing that connects those two films that I, I always think about and that for me redeems both of them somewhat is that although they are departures for the team, they do place the Marx Brothers in what for me is their natural habitat, which is the world of New York and the world of the theater. Um, and just for taking place in that milieu of, of the urban arts scene, room service and love happy do feel like throwbacks to the days of coconuts and animal crackers from a certain point of view that none of the others do. So room service, you know, it's not what I would give anyone to watch in order to show them how great the Marx brothers are, but um, for seeing a team that I love, try something a little different. Um, I find it, you know, uh, worthwhile and perfectly pleasant. Yeah. It's one of those films where the story behind the film and the making of it, is probably more interesting than the than the finished product. But if you know what it is and can appreciate the Marxists trying something different and are not expecting a traditional, I'm finger quoting here, Marx Brothers film, you might appreciate it a bit more. Anyhow, after the somewhat mixed reaction to room service, the Marxists went back to MGM and decided to play it safe, about as safe as they could with At the Circus. Noah, let's go to you this time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting that at all. Actually, actually, uh, I misspoke, but made it sound like I was doing it on purpose. <laughs> um, I At the circus, yeah, for me, it's number 11, um, which, of course, is pretty near the bottom of the list. Only Go West and Love Happy. Um rank lower for me. Um, I really, I really have a hard time enjoying at the circus. It, it certainly has some great highlights in it. Lydia, the tattooed lady for me being by far the highest, uh, here and there, the comedy scenes do achieve something. It's nice to see Margaret Dumont, uh, making a late entrance in the film. Uh, but for all, all the oft-cited reasons, including the circus being a kind of tiresome backdrop for the Marx Brothers, I, I don't get any pleasure out of seeing them in that context. Um, and also, of course, as we've said many times, uh, Groucho's toupee and performance in, in At the Circus and Go West, for me, those films, it costs them a lot of points that Groucho Marx I think the greatest comic performer ever captured on film is so very diminished by those strange choices. Um, and so when you have the, the diminished MGM version of Harpo and the 
edges, Chico's rough edges are all smoothed out in that MGM way. Um, and you don't have the, uh, very vital Groucho that you have in opera and races. Uh, at the circus is a pretty bitter slog for me. But on the plus side, it doesn't have Zeppo. So you give, that's a point in it. <laughs> you know, you're opening the door to a Kenny Baker conversation that never ends. <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully never begins. <laughs> oh, boy. Did you really mean what you said, Bob? <laughs> Andrea, please leave us alone. <laughs> to be fair, I actually enjoy Harpo's performance in At the Circus. He seems uh, a bit more devilish and devil may care than he had been in the first two MGMs. A little bit back to normal, back to the Harpo that I really like. As you guys have said, this is somewhat offset by Groucho's strange performance and characterization. He's almost like a bad Groucho imitator or had too much caffeine. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And as I've mentioned elsewhere, this film does contain my least favorite moment in the entire Marx Brothers uh, career, and that's Groucho on the ceiling in Eve Arden's dressing room screaming for help when he's stuck in the boots. Ugh, I cringe just thinking about it. And to be honest, I'm not really that big a fan of Lydia the Tattooed Lady. It's not really that it's a bad song. It just doesn't really seem to fit Groucho. I like his more sardonic songs that he did in Horse Feathers and Duck Soup. Um, this seems a little bit too cute for Groucho, almost like something Danny Kaye would do. But if the Marxists were going to try it, I wouldn't mind have seen Chico take a stab at it. And his yeah. broken yeah. English might have added something to it that seems to be missing from Groucho's take. Yeah, I I could uh, I I could give you a fifteen minute critique about the circus, or I could simply say badge, oh badge. You know, it's it that horrible <laughs> horrible Groucho performance. I think of the three lesser MGMs, it's got the best script. It's got the most good scenes. It's got the most opportunities for them. Um, it's also got probably their best post Night of the Opera scene of all for me, which is the one where uh, Chico and Harpo uh, rob the strongman's room, uh, raid it rather. But um, the, the reason, the main reason why that's uh, not ruined is because Groucho isn't there. Groucho's performance, I think, casts a pall over the whole film. Um, I understand, you know, it, it was at the instigation of, of director Edward Bazell. It wasn't a choice of his own. He didn't much care for it. But nonetheless, uh, he gives the most bizarre obnoxiously reinvented performance, flinging himself about, waving his arms around, acting like an idiot and screeching. Um, and for that reason, uh, I have to put it at number 11. Um, and uh, yeah, same as now. I'm going to actually rate at the circus as higher than the two MGMs that follow it. It's, it's a schizophrenic film. It's high points are higher than what most of what follows it, but it's low points are lower, which I think is a perfect segue into go West. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, let me go. Let me go first. Yeah. Let me go first this time. Yeah, I like to give Go West a lot of grief. I like to joke about it, but that's only because it's an easy target. It's actually not a bad film. It's it's pretty funny. But my main criticism is that it's not really Marx Brothers funny. I think the Three Stooges could have done just as well, if not better, with the same source material. And so, while I think it has a lot of good gags and a lot of good moments, I'd like to have seen something that was tailored a bit more for their talents. And apparently there was an early version of the script that was more in the Paramount uh, crazy vein, but MGM scrapped that and went with something 
more along the lines of what they had been doing with the A Night at the Opera template, so to speak. Yeah, number 13 for me, right at the bottom. Um, it's the one where even the good bits are bad. Everybody says the start's good, the end's good, and there's nothing in between. But, you know, the start and the end don't really do much for me either. Um, I think it's got everything uh, that's wrong with At the Circus is there again, uh, but none of the good stuff. And um, it's uh, I do understand and I have said before the whole thing about, you know, it's still a Marx Brothers film. And uh, if nothing else, you you wouldn't want one less Marx Brothers film. I understand that. I agree with it up to a point. But the more I see it, it does make me a little bit cross because it's made by people who don't give a damn about them. Whether they cared much themselves by that point isn't the issue. It's made by people who really don't care. And it's it's a pity. Uh, yeah, I, I feel that way too. Go West for me is number 12 and um, only only Love Happy ranks lower and it's because Love Happy gives me less of a sense of the Marx Brothers, but I get very little sense of them from Go West. Um, I don't find it quite as irritating as At the Circus, but I also see that it's not as good. It's has less funny stuff, less successful comedy than At the Circus. Another insufferably hyperactive and manic performance from Groucho. And yeah, very little you can really point to to like. I, I do like um uh riding the range. Yes. Um that's just kind of nice. It's not very distinctive or or typical of the Marx brothers, but it's kind of lovely to see them doing a musical number so earnestly together. Um I think the first scene is okay. I I I, I don't think it's brilliant Marx Brothers material, but I think it's better than things in films we like better. I think it's better than the Tootsie Fritzie scene, for example. Uh, but the finale on the train, uh, yes, very well done, but for me, not very entertaining. I do have to admit that the one thing that does strike my funny bone is the scene where the Groucho and Chico are getting drunk with the floozies. I can't explain why, but perhaps because they were doing something uh, a little different. I like, I like the way they keep standing up and sitting down again. That's 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 fair enough. And that is maybe a piece that if other comedians did it, I might think more highly of it. I, I wish I wish I liked Go West better because as a concept, you know, it's their only period piece on film. And the idea of casting the Marx Brothers in a historical context, that should be great. That should uh, harken back to the Napoleon scene from I'll Say She Is and give us a sense of the Marx Brothers um, in all their modernity as these 20th century street characters, uh, you know, putting them in, in historic context should be very satisfying. Um, but in this case, unfortunately wait, wait. not. I got to go Google modernity. What? Modernity. You know, I mean, part of the revolution of the Marx Brothers on film is that they're so modern. In an age when most uh, stage and screen actors spoke in exaggeratedly formal Mm -hmm. voices, you know, and everything sounded very mid-Atlantic and Mm -hmm. very uh, stiff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Groucho and Chico sounded like they just walked in off the street. Uh, That was wonderful about them. And that's part of why it's funny to imagine Groucho as Napoleon, because he's so clearly a product of 20th century New York. So that should be funny in the Old West, too, but it isn't. Okay, let's move on to the big store, the last of the infamous trio. Matthew? 
Yeah, Big Store is um, number ten for me. It's my, it's fractionally my favourite of the three of the three bad ones. Um, there's nothing in it at all. It's almost literally nothing in it. Nothing happens. Nothing is said. There are no jokes. Um, it's a bit like kind of watching the Marx Brothers from a distance coming over a hill. And you, you, is that the Marx Brothers or is it just three? Could be three little shrubs or so. I'm not sure. But anyway, it's um, the, the, the point is that there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, there's nothing horrible about it, I should say. Groucho is Groucho again. Edward Bazell has gone. The toupee has gone. The screech has gone. And that's uh, instant points, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's a sweet film. Uh, it's a happy film. No, it's not particularly funny. Uh, but there are none of those terrible low points. And there are, there are very few of those awful kind of fake jokes. Uh, something I didn't mention about At the Circus and Go West is there are an awful lot of lines in it that Groucho delivers as if they're jokes. And the only thing that makes them jokes is the delivery. They make no sense. They're not funny. Um, there's very, very few of them. There's one or two, but very, very few. So it's a film that I find it very, very hard to say that there's anything particularly good about. But after the previous two, um, I think it's it's like uh, a breath of, uh, of of cleaner air somehow. Yeah, that's about where I am, too. And I also... I also ranked The Big Store at number 10, which on my list puts it ahead of both At the Circus and Go West. Yeah, it's just a happier feeling. Um, it's a, it's certainly a misfire, but it doesn't feel so bitter and unpleasant as Go West and At the Circus. It's sort of merry. What's particularly disappointing for me is that uh, it was announced beforehand that this was going to be their last film, and you would think they would want to be a bit more ambitious and go down swinging with something that was supposedly going to be their farewell. Uh-huh, yeah. But actually, I don't mind the big store. I think it's not particularly funny. Nothing makes me laugh out loud, but nothing makes me cringe either. I think it's just all very nice and likable and a much more likable film than Go West, which actually might be uh, hair funnier than this one. It was nice to see them back in a traditional Marx Brothers setting and traditional costume and traditional performance for Groucho. So my only criticism is that there's nothing great in the big store. And as we all know, it turned out not to be their farewell film. And neither did the next one. Let's talk about A Night in Casablanca. Matthew? Yep, leaping back up then to number seven for that one. Um, I think it's um, a, a wonderful return to form. The important thing to say before I get carried away is that nothing in it is new. Absolutely everything in it that is funny is something they've done before. It's very deliberately uh, a rehash. Um, having said that, we could have done with a few more rehashes in the previous three films. I think um, that the, the the break has has reinvigorated them. I like the way they're centre stage again. Yeah, it looks a bit cheap. They look a bit older. Although I love Groucho's white suit. I think that looks great. Um, but I think it's funny, and I think they're back, and it kind of it kind of hits you as you know, here we are, we're back again, and the material is good enough to to sustain that feeling. I think it's wonderful that they were able to give such a nice performance and do such a good film at this point in their career at, at their ages. Uh, perhaps after the big store, people might have wondered whether they were even capable of doing a good film anymore. But this proved them wrong, that given the right material and having a, a bit of enthusiasm for it, they really could still bring the goods. And it's just a shame that they didn't continue on in this vein. I would have been very happy had they continued doing films the quality of a night in Casablanca for a few more years. 
Yeah, I completely agree with every word of that. And it comes in at number eight for me, but um, I think it, it essentially ties with a day at the races in my estimation. And I would on most occasions probably rather watch a night in Casablanca than a day at the races because it's it's tighter and a little bit less uh, familiar to me. Um, and, and also, uh, Matthew, you're so right about that white linen suit. Mm. It, that doesn't get talked about enough, but Groucho in that white linen suit, I just love it. And I've, I've had the feeling, uh, I would almost want to do a stage version of a night in Casablanca just, just to, to wear, wear that, that suit, white yeah. linen suit. The suit also serves the purpose of distracting us from Harpo's pseudo wig or cotton candy <laughs> or whatever he's wearing up there. Harpo's white linen wig. <laughs> So let's finish up here with uh, Love Happy. Noah, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think we are all disciples of James Agee as far as the point that the worst film the Marx Brothers might ever make would be more worth our time than the best film that somebody else might make. And I, this is the one that I proves strongly the point. feel that way. But, but yeah, I have to put Love Happy at the bottom. Not because I think it's atrocious or unbearable. It's, it's actually quite a pleasant little movie and it does reveal a, a side of Harpo that's sort of sweet and, and not thoroughly explored elsewhere. But if I feel like watching the Marx Brothers, my favorite um, performers in the history of stage or screen and getting just a taste of their delicious essence. Love Happy is the film that does the least for me in terms of, of, of hitting that spot. And ignore what you might see or read. This film does not co-star Meryl Monroe. She's in it about as much as, well, not much more than I am. <laughs> but like Room Service, it does not belong in the normal Marx catalog. It deserves to be looked at as it was originally intended, as a solo Harpo vehicle. And when you look at it that way, you can appreciate the charming little film that it actually is. Sorry, I was st- I was I was still thinking of of Noah tasting their delicious essence. I was I was just I was off for a minute. Yeah, um, sorry about that, guys. That I I I really wish it hadn't come out that way, but here we are. Yeah, I put it at number twelve. I put it slightly ahead of Go West. It doesn't it doesn't bother me in the way that Go West does. There's nothing much in it. Uh, nothing happens. They look old. They look tired. There's no material of any sort. But it's a happy watch. It's a pleasant watch. Uh, the one thing I will say that stands out for it is I like Chico's solo in it. I think it's the best piano solo he's had for quite a long time. I think it works very nicely. Um, other than that, it's over quickly. It's happy. Uh, it's love happy. Um, so I put it in at number 12, just ahead of Go West. Thank you for joining us on the maiden voyage of the Marx Brothers Council podcast. We hope you'll stick with us, tell your friends and share the link. Chances are it will get better as it goes along. Our special guest next time will be Joe Adamson. Joe is, of course, the author of Groucho, Harpo, Chico and sometimes Zappo, as well as an internationally recognized authority on the Marx Brothers animation and American screen comedy. And we're going to be talking to him about cake decorating. If you have any thoughts, ideas or suggestions, <laughs> let us know by leaving a comment at marxcast.blogspot.com and don't forget that you that's you yes you could win a free copy of noah diamond's book give me a thrill the story of i'll say she is just keep watching the website marxcast.blogspot.com and listen out for the next edition of the marx brothers council podcast where all will be revealed to the extent that decency permits i have nothing to give away except my Your dignity. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have a copy of my book to give away, Bob? (laughs) No, I I buy them just to burn them.
<laughs> Shovel them into the fireplace, right? <laughs> I gave all mine to Jay Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs>